preacher and author Charles Spurgeon once said, nobody ever outgrows scripture. The book widens and deepens with our years. The more we read God's word, the more we study God's word, the more we discuss God's word, uh, the more we memorize God's word, the more we obey God's word, the more we learn about God, about his will, and about his work in our lives, the more we learn about ourselves and our circumstances and those that God places around us. The psalmist said in Psalm 119, verse 97 to 98, your instruction, God, your instruction is my delight. I love your instruction. It's my meditation all day long. Your commands make me wiser than my enemies, for they are always with me. As we get into God's word, God's word gets in us and fills us with God's wisdom, which helps us to live God's way by the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us. This is important for us to remember because spiritual warfare is real. As followers of Jesus, we understand that our enemy is Satan. Scripture reminds us and tells us that Satan is the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He is the evil one. He is the father of lies. He is the ruler of the power of air. He is the God of this age. He is the God of this world. World being defined as those who are separated from God because of their sin against God. Those who are dead spiritually in their sins and transgressions. Those who do not have a relationship with God so they cannot live for God. The world is also defined as the system of beliefs and messages and practices and values that are against God. As Paul called them, the ways of the world that are fueled by Satan and at work in those who are disobedient. John told us, we are of God and the whole world is under the sway, the influence of the evil one who is Satan. John warned us in 1 John 2, verses 15 through 17, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For the things in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride in one's possessions, the pride in one's life, they don't come from the Father, they come from the world. The world with its lust is passing away, but the one who does the will of God remains forever. We can rejoice this morning because Jesus told us we are in this world, but we are not of this world. God has saved us out of this world by his grace through our faith in Christ Jesus. God has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us in the kingdom of the son he loves. In him, in Jesus, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins through the blood that Jesus shed for us on the cross of Calvary. We are therefore victors in Christ Jesus. Say, I'm a victor in Jesus. All right, all right. Let's say it again with full-on meaning. Ready? On three. One, two, three. I am... Yes. Tell your neighbor, I'm an overcomer in Jesus. Listen, this is who we are. We're victors. We're overcomers. We're more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. This is important for us to remember because we know not only is spiritual warfare real, the battle of spiritual warfare is fought in the mind. 
I don't know if you thought about this, but Satan is a master marketer. He is a master of marketing. No one better at marketing than our enemy Satan. He markets his lies, accusations, temptations, the ways of this world, the messages, practices, beliefs, values of this world in such a way to lure and entice us to turn away from God, God's word, and God's people, our brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. I believe we all understand if we're not drawing near to God, we're drifting away from God. There's not really a middle ground. This is why it's so important, and this is why it's a must for us to renew our minds on the truth of God's word. As Paul told us, do not be conformed to this age. Do not be conformed to the world, the pattern of the thinking of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may be able to discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Listen, this is a truth for our lives on a daily basis. If we are not renewing our minds on the word, we will be conformed to the world. If we're not renewing our minds in the word of God, we will be conformed to the ways of this world. And so we need to renew our minds on God's word. This word renew means to renovate. It means to refresh. It means to make new. So as we get into God's word on a daily basis, the Holy Spirit of God who lives in us renews our minds through God's word. What does that mean? It means he renovates, he refreshes, he makes our minds and our thoughts new according to the truth of God's word. We're able to think God's way. We're able to feel God's way. We're able to act God's way. We're able to know what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. We're able to follow the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. We're able to share with others what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. When we sin against God, we will confess our sins to God. We'll forsake our sin. And we'll continue living for God on a daily basis by the power of God at work in us. We can believe and trust in the Bible because we can believe and trust in God who is the author of the Bible. Scripture tells us, the psalmist told us, God is the God of all truth. All truth has its beginning in God. Therefore, we know God's word is absolute truth for our lives. God's word is absolutely right and true for us at all times and in all circumstances. This is one of the reasons why Jesus prayed for us in John 17 and verse 17, sanctify them by your truth, God, your word is truth. God sanctifies us. God purifies us. God makes us holy. God renews and transforms us in large part by the truth of his word. So as we read and study God's word, God teaches us to live his way. As we read and study God's word, God encourages us to live his way. As we read and study God's word, God empowers us to live his way. And as we read and study God's word, God blesses us as we live his way. We must make the commitment again today for this week to renew our minds on the truth of God's word. Almost to a person, 
You can look back on it in your own life. You want to do a quick personal inventory, but this is true. When we have walked or drifted away from God in our lives in the past, when someone walks or drifts away from God in the present, it always starts at this beginning point of drifting from the Word of God. That individual, ourselves in the past, stopped renewing our minds on the Word of God, and what happened? We became more and more conformed to the ways of this world. The marketing campaign of our enemy Satan lured us, effectively enticed us to believe that his way was better than God's way, even though we know that's not true. He marketed his way so well that we began to drift and became conformed to the thinking, the pattern of this world. It's vitally important for us, once again, to renew our minds on the truth of God's word, which is exactly what we're going to do this morning. Open your Bibles with me to Galatians chapter 2. The Apostle Paul understood the reality of spiritual warfare. The Apostle Paul understood the importance of renewing our minds on the truth of God's word. The Apostle Paul understood that spiritual warfare is fought in our minds. The Apostle Paul, as we've been reading in chapter 1, is now we're making our way into chapter 2 of Galatians. Paul defended God's word. He defended God's gospel of grace to us in Christ Jesus against the false teachers and their false accusations years and years ago. And so we're following along as we get back into this amazing passage, Galatians chapter 2. Let's begin with verse 1, and we'll, we'll make our way quickly uh, through the first five verses that we covered at length last week and get to our passage this morning. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. After 14 years of effective ministry, fruitful ministry, faithful ministry, Paul once again said, I went back up to Jerusalem, and this time I took Barnabas and I took Titus with me. He said, I went up according to a revelation and presented to them the gospel I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to those as leaders. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running in vain. Paul said, I went up according to a revelation. That means that Paul said, God sent me to Jerusalem. I didn't go up to Jerusalem because I wanted to go. God sent me to Jerusalem. Paul said, I'm an apostle of God. I was sent by God to Jerusalem. And he said, I went and I had a private meeting with the leaders in the church in Jerusalem. And at that private meeting with those leaders, I presented to them the gospel that I preached among the Gentiles. Paul said the reason he did that was he wanted to make sure that they were all on the same page when it comes to the good news of the gospel. He wanted to make sure they all agreed. He wanted to make sure, Paul wanted to make sure that the gospel he believed in and taught to the Gentiles was the same gospel they believed and taught as well, which is Jews and Gentiles alike come to God by God's grace through faith in Christ Jesus. And so Paul actually used some athletic imagery here to describe how he wanted to make sure that all these leaders we're running the same direction in the same race for the same prize, which is God's pleasure, glory, and praise. And he continued to verse 3, but not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised even though he was a Greek. Remember, the false teachers there uh, in the churches uh, in Galatea that Paul was writing to, these false teachers were known as the Judaizers. They taught circumcision and obedience to the Old Testament law was necessary for a Gentile to come to faith and trust in Christ. They taught salvation by works. 
Basically, they just taught you had to earn your way to a relationship with God. And part of that was through circumcision and obedience to the Old Testament law. Paul brought Titus to this meeting in Jerusalem uh, for a specific reason. He was a test case of sorts. Paul knew uh, that Titus was an uncircumcised Gentile. He had received God's gift of salvation by God's grace through his faith in Christ Jesus. So Paul knew, I'm going to bring Titus with me to this meeting. And if Titus is compelled, forced, or persuaded to be circumcised for salvation by the leaders of the church in Jerusalem, then Paul said, I will know that all Gentiles will be asked, forced, compelled to be circumcised for salvation. And he said, I would also know at that point they don't agree with me about the gospel. And so I'll know we have a different conversation we have to go into. But he knew as well, if these leaders of the church in Jerusalem, if they don't compel, force, or persuade Titus to be circumcised for salvation, then certainly no other Gentile will be forced to be circumcised for salvation in order to have a relationship with God. And Paul said in verse 3, but not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. So Paul rejoiced in verse 3 because he realized, okay, we do agree. We see God's gospel of grace in Christ. Salvation is not by works. It's by God's grace through faith in Christ Jesus. Paul said in verse 4, This matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus in order to enslave us. He said, the reason I had this meeting in the first place was because these false brothers had come in teaching this salvation by works, uh, and they were doing it to spy on us, to enslave us. These false teachers wanted to keep the Gentile converts in bondage to works for salvation and bondage to circumcision and legalism and obedience to the Old Testament law in order to have a relationship with God. And so Paul said in verse 5, but we did not give up for a minute. We didn't give up and submit to these people for even a moment so that the truth of the gospel would be preserved for you. Paul said, we didn't back down. He said, we didn't give in to the Judaizers' demands. We didn't give in to these false teachers even for a minute. Paul said, we, the leaders in that meeting, we all believed, we all taught, we all defended salvation is by God's grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ Jesus alone. This was a monumental meeting, both for then and now. We are in this passage. We're in view here in this scripture. Paul and these leaders understood this. If at this point in time, at the early development of the church, the New Testament church, if circumcision or obedience to the Old Testament law would have been added to salvation or any other good work would have been added to salvation, Paul, these leaders understood that the good news of the gospel of God's grace to us in Christ Jesus would no longer be the good news of God's gospel of grace to us in Christ Jesus. And Paul knew if works were added to salvation, that it would comp uh, completely compromise, hinder, and stop the message, ministry, and mission of the church. Paul, think about it, Paul knew better than anyone of the enslaving power of legalism and the error of the thought that we have to earn our relationship with God through good works. He had tried that in the first half of his life and had failed. He knew better than anybody. He was the best at that and he yet still failed. And so Paul said, we didn't back down, we didn't give up. Why? So that the gospel would be preserved, he said. 
for you. The gospel will remain pure. It would be preserved, meaning it would be able to continue to go forth to the Gentiles in his day, but that it would continue going forth to the Gentiles in every day, every age, every time, which includes us today. A couple of thousand years ago, these guys were sitting in a room in Jerusalem. They were hashing this out. And they came to agreement with one another. You know what? Okay, we agree that Jews and Gentiles are going to become brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. God's made it clear to us. It happens by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ Jesus alone. So we're, gonna, we're, we're in agreement, right? And they all looked around and said, yeah, right, we're in agreement. We're all going to teach it, right? Yeah, we're all going to teach it. We're going to go this way. You're going to go that way. We're going to teach it. Yeah. And they went forth and they preserved and they taught this gospel. And this gospel has continued even today. And what we are doing right now is the very same thing they did years ago. We are preaching the good news that salvation is available by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ Jesus alone. We're continuing. It's amazing to see this passage unfold even in our lives today. So let's continue in verse 6. Now remember, Paul had defended the good news of God's gospel of grace to us in Christ against the false teachers. Remember now, the false teachers hoped that the leaders in Jerusalem would side with them and would add circumcision and obedience to Old Testament law to salvation for the Gentiles. They were hoping against hope that that would happen, but it didn't happen. And so we know that in verses 1 through 5. He says, now in verse 6, now from those recognized as important, what they once were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to me. Now from those recognized as important. Paul here is referring to those who recognize as important. He's referring to the recognized, respected leaders in the church in Jerusalem, namely Peter, James, and John. These men were respected. They were recognized leaders. They were men of good character and high reputation, well thought of. And he said, now, transitioning from those recognized as important, he said, what they once were makes no difference to me. Paul's not showing disrespect to these leaders in Jerusalem. Paul is just simply not impressed by them, and he's not intimidated by them. Remember what we've been saying since chapter 1. Once again, Paul was defending his apostleship. Paul was saying, I was called by God just like they were called by God. I'm an apostle of God just like these respected leaders in Jerusalem were apostles of God. They're not any better than me. They're not any more important than me. He said, now from those recognized as important, what they once were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. Paul reminded these believers and us here that God is an impartial God. God doesn't have ministry favorites. God is not impressed with us or our abilities, skills, and talents because God is the one who has given us our abilities, skills, and talents. This is a reminder that God's the one who's great, not us. God's great, not us. God allows us to join him in his work. It's not the other way around. We don't allow God to join us in our work. No, no, no. God allows us to join us in his work. But at points in time in our walk with the Lord, we kind of can get that backwards. 
We get so focused on what we want. We get so focused on what we think is best. We get so focused on what we think God wants for us that we begin to pray, God, I want you to give me the green light for this. God, I want you to rubber stamp this because God, I really think this is best. I actually know this is best. And so God, would you make sure that you green light this? Or if God's not doing that, what we'll do at times is we'll say, okay, God, this is what I think is best. So God, if it's not what's best, would you slam this big, huge, colossal door in my face to keep me from going through And we begin to get this backwards, and we begin to live our lives thinking we're allowing God, and we want God to come in, and we want him to rubber stamp what we want to do. And the scripture is clear. God allows us to join him in his work. God's impartiality was an encouragement to Paul. And think about it. You know Paul's background. We've already discussed Paul's background, and yet because of God's grace to him in Christ Jesus, Paul knew that God didn't love Peter and James and John any more than he loved him. And Paul knew that God wasn't going to use them in any greater ways than he would use them because he understood and realized God's not a partial God. God doesn't have favorites. God's impartial. He loves each one of us. He's gifted each one of us. He uses each one of us. This is an encouragement for us today as well. And he continues and he said, they added nothing to me. What he's saying there is these leaders in the Jerusalem church, they didn't make me an apostle of God. God called me to be an apostle. said the leaders in this Jerusalem church didn't add to my gospel understanding because I came to Jerusalem to make sure that we all agreed on the same point, which is salvation is by God's grace through faith in Christ Jesus. Paul was saying these Jerusalem leaders there in the church, they didn't add to my ministry preparation because I spent time with God in seminary for three years in Arabia and Damascus, and then he's been with me teaching, guiding, training me from every point and every day thereafter. Remember, Paul had served for many, many, many years effectively in Syria and Cilicia, which was a long way away from Jerusalem and these leaders, and Paul had done just fine. And so again, he's defending his apostleship. And he said in verse 7, On the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel for the uncircumcised, just as Peter was for the circumcised. Paul said, they didn't add anything to me. On the contrary, as we talked, as we discussed, they realized. They saw. He said, that means they realized. They understood that God had called me, Paul, as an apostle, and he had entrusted the gospel to me so that I could take it to the uncircumcised, which meant the Gentiles. Just like Paul said that these leaders recognized, they saw, they understood that God had entrusted Peter to take the good news of the gospel to the circumcised, meaning the Jews. He said in verse 8, since the one at work in Peter for an apostleship to the circumcised was also at work in me for the Gentiles. Paul's helping them understand, listen, there is one God. God was at work in me. God was at work in Peter. There's one gospel. The good news, that salvation is available to all who will believe in Christ and and receive him by faith, by God's grace through their faith in Christ Jesus. But Paul did say there are two mission fields. There were two mission fields, the Gentiles where God was sending Paul and the Jews where God was sending Peter and others. And there was one church. Jews and Gentiles would come together 
as the body of Christ, united together, members of God's family, brothers and sisters, by their faith and trust in Christ Jesus. Paul here is highlighting God's work in their lives. He's highlighting the amazing work of God, how God through the ages was now at this point in time in Christ Jesus, bringing everyone together into one body, his body, by faith and trust in Christ Jesus. And he continued in verse eight, uh, verse nine, he said, when James Cephas, that means Peter, and John, those recognized as pillars, acknowledged the grace that had been given to me. They gave the right hand of fellowship to me and Barnabas, agreeing that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. So here's what you have happened. What, what Paul is saying was when we got to Jerusalem and we were meeting and these leaders, in particular, the pillars of the church, the main leaders of the church, Peter, James, and John, when they acknowledged the grace of God that had been given to me, what that means is when they acknowledged, when they saw, when they realized that God had saved Paul by his grace, just as he had saved them, when they saw God's hand of grace at work in Paul, through Paul and around Paul, when they heard with their own ears the gospel message that Paul presented to them, the same gospel that he preached to the Gentiles, when they understood these other leaders in this meeting, upon hearing this gospel preached by Paul, when they understood that they were all in unity together as it related to God's gospel of grace in Christ Jesus, when they realized all of this, they then extended, Paul said, they extended the right hand of fellowship to me and Barnabas. Now, the right hand of fellowship uh, literally meant a sharing. It meant partnership. It meant fellowship. It, it meant community. You see, what happened was these leaders in the church in Jerusalem, they had harmony with God by God's grace through their faith in Christ Jesus. And they realized upon listening and observing and watching and hearing Paul talk to them, they realized Paul was a recipient of God's grace through his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So they realized that they had harmony with God. We have harmony with God today by God's grace through faith in Christ Jesus. Each one of us has harmony, unity, peace with God by God's grace through our faith in Christ Jesus. Biblically, if we have not yet received God's gift of salvation by our faith and trust in Christ Jesus, then we are still enemies of God. We are at war with God due to our sin against God. We're separated from God because of our sin against God, and there's no amount of good works we can do to get rid of our sin and get to God on our own. That's what they have been talking about in this meeting. And so when these guys, when they got together and they're all sitting there and they're listening and they realize, you know what? Hey, listen, it's obvious. We've all received God's gift of salvation by God's grace through our faith in Christ Jesus. So if God has given his gift of grace to us, then that means we must extend that gift of grace to one another. We must extend the right hand of fellowship to our brothers here, to Paul, to Barnabas, and to Titus. What it meant was, hey, now we're on the same team. We're part of the same family, God's family in Christ Jesus. And so we see they had harmony with God, and then they began to enjoy that harmony with one another. 
They enjoy the fellowship with one another. We express our harmony with God, our unity with God through our harmony and unity with one another by the way we fellowship with one another. And so we see here in this passage what we see taught throughout God's word. Harmony with God should result in harmony in God's family. Unity with God should result in unity with God's family. And our harmony with God and with one another is grounded in our obedience to the truth of God's word. We live in that harmony. We have fellowship with one another around the word of God as we continue to live out our faith in God by our obedience to the word of God. We embrace and enjoy the grace of God in our lives individually by sharing that in our fellowship with one another, in our small groups, in our life teams, in our discipleship groups, in our one-on-one discipleship opportunities. We enjoy and spread this sharing, this partnership, this grace with one another through fellowship with one another. And Paul then said, he said, agreeing after this fellowship was given, after they realized, hey, we got fellowship with one another, we're family, we're brothers in Christ, they agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They all agreed, and as they were getting ready to dismiss that meeting, this epic meeting in Jerusalem, as it was coming to an end, they were talking to one another and said, okay, let's, let's get this straight. Paul, you and Barnabas, we're going to go forth from here. We understand we're all together. We're all on the same team. We're going we're gonna to go chase after the same prize, the glory of God. And you're going to go, and when you leave here, you're going to go, and you're going to minister to the Gentiles. Knowing that within that ministry to Gentiles, inevitably there would be some Jews that they would minister to as well. But primarily, Paul was going to minister to the Gentiles. And they said, and as we leave here, Peter, James, and John, we're going to continue to primarily minister to the Jews. Though there would be Gentiles, obviously they would minister to in the, in the churches they went to. We're going to primarily minister to the Jews. And they agreed with one another. They said exactly what God wants. That's what God's called us to. That's how God's called us to minister. And we see this at times in our lives today. We see this. God has called me to pastor this church. And that's the joy of my life to pastor this church and to help this church grow and reach out to the community around us for the glory of God. But as you know, we've got members of our church family that are literally around the world right now carrying the good news of the gospel to the nations. I've been talking with Jake and Ginger this past week. They're our brothers and sisters. We share the same grace of God together as brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. They're part of our family. They're still part of our family. But God's plan for them was to go to Lesotho, to Maseru, to go up into the villages of Lesotho in South Africa, to go and to minister and to tell them the good news of the gospel of grace that is in Christ Jesus. And so they are an extension of us. And so we have parted physical company, but we're still brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus ministering where God's placed us ministering. And that's what was happening here with Paul and Barnabas, with Peter, James, and John. And then in verse 10, he finally says, they asked us only that we would remember the poor, which I have made every effort to do. He said, listen, as you go, there's going to just one thing we want to ask you. Would you just remember the poor? And we know already from what we've shared a couple of weeks back, Paul and Barnabas already had remembered the poor. They had sent an offering to the poor there in Jerusalem. They had a heart for the poor. They cared for the poor. And so this was an encouragement. Wherever you go in ministry, wherever the Lord takes you as you minister to the Gentiles, in all those areas, remember the poor. Focus on meeting the needs 
of those who are around you. But also, this was a reminder for them as they were getting ready to leave Jerusalem to remember the poor back in Jerusalem because there was a group of believers there in Jerusalem uh, that were struggling financially. And Paul and Barnabas had already sent an offering from Antioch to help with them. And Paul obviously said, we, made it. we had made every effort to do so, and we will continue to do this. And so we see this amazing meeting producing unity, producing harmony, producing peace. And now these brothers go out to take the good news of the gospel to the places that God had called them to go. God had equipped them and prepared them to go and share Jesus with all those that they would come into contact with. So what's our application today? What, what does this mean for you and for me today? What do we take away from this? Our application today is simply this. I must praise God. You must praise God and I must praise God. Why? Because our God is an awesome God. Our God is an awesome God. Tell your neighbor, our God is an awesome God. Our God is an awesome God. Listen, the same God who was at work in this passage a couple of thousand years ago is the same God that is at work in us today. Two points we see as we praise God today. God's work in us produces praise from us. God's work in us produces praise from us. I'm not sure if you understand and realize, as we've seen with Paul and with Barnabas and Titus and Peter, James and John and many others here in the scriptures, God's at work in you. He's at work in you right now. Scripture says God is the one who is working in us to willing to work according to his good purpose. God was at work in Paul and in Peter, God's at work in us. God has saved us just as he saved Paul and Peter. God has called us into ministry just as he's called Paul and Peter into ministry. God has entrusted us with the good news of the gospel just as he entrusted Paul and Peter with the good news of the gospel. God comforts us just as he comforted Paul and Peter. God encourages us just as he encouraged Paul and Peter. God empowers us just as he empowered Paul and Peter. God forgives us just as he forgave Paul and Peter. God loves us just as he loved Paul and Peter. God gives us great just as he gave grace to Paul and Peter. God unites us together just as he united Paul and Peter together. God uses us just as he used Paul and Peter. God blesses us each day just as he blessed Paul and Peter years and years ago. God is at work in us and his work is best. His work is best for you and for me. Therefore, through Jesus, let us offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that profess his name. As we stop and as we think about our God, he's an awesome and almighty God. He has preserved this gospel for you and me. Thousands of years ago, it's still preserved for us. He's at work in us. His work is best for us. We have harmony and unity with him. We have harmony, unity, and fellowship with one another. His work is amazing, and it should produce praise from us. The fruit of our lips that profess his name. It's our joy and privilege to praise God. But secondly, God's word to us produces praise from us. This word is a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. This word never returns void. It always accomplishes God's plans and purposes that he has set for it. God's word teaches us, rebukes us, corrects us, and trains us in righteousness. So we will be able to do all that God calls us to do. So we'll be able to be who God calls us to be. So they'll be able to become more and more like Christ Jesus because this word tells us the Holy Spirit of God lives in each of us. And he is the one who is working in us, transforming us and molding us and shaping us and changing us to look more like Jesus. The word of God 
tells us that God's grace is sufficient for us and his power is perfected in our weakness so that we may boast all the more gladly about our weaknesses so that the power of Christ may reside in us. For God's not given us a spirit of fear or timidity, but one of power, of love, and in sound mind, of sound judgment. God will meet all of our needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. If we confess our sins, our God is faithful and just, and he will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. We know if we, as we humble ourselves before the Lord, he will lift us up in due time, which is his time, which is the right time. And God opposes the proud, but he'll give grace to the humble. He'll give grace to you and to me at the exact point we need it, in the exact measure we need it, for the exact length of time that we need it. He will continue pouring his truth into us through his word as we renew our minds on this word. We understand and know that we're a chosen race, a royal priest to the holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that we may declare the praises of God who has called us out of the darkness of sin into the marvelous light of his Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. God's work in us should produce praise from us. That's what was going on with these leaders in this meeting in Jerusalem. And it continued to resonate and produce praise in the churches that they then went to because more and more folks came into a relationship with God by God's grace through faith in Christ Jesus. And as they went forth, they taught the Word of God, and the Word of God produces praise in us because it's truth for our lives. Praising God helps us to keep our minds on God. Praising God protects us from turning away from God. Praising God reminds us to depend on God. Praising God helps us to live for God. Praising God inspires us to tell others about God. It's our joy and privilege to take this gospel, the good news that Jesus has taken our place on the cross and paid our price for sin. The good news that Jesus shed his blood on the cross of Calvary. The good news that Jesus was buried in the tomb The good news that on the third day, Jesus rose again victorious over sin and death for you and for me. The good news of this gospel of grace is extended to us again today. For whoever will believe in Jesus and receive Jesus by faith. You see, God was at work in Paul's day, changing lives for eternity. God is at work in our day today. He's changing lives for eternity. So let's praise him. Let's obey him. Let's join him in his work for his honor, for his name, for his fame, for his glory. Let's praise and join him today. Fresh and new as we look to what God has in store for us. 